Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Father, we love you, and we lift our souls to you. And we pray, Lord, that as we come into your presence, recognizing that you are always with us, but Lord, putting our attention on you completely, fully, without distraction. Speak to our hearts through your word, by your spirit, and through this holy ordinance that you have given us as your people. Speak to our hearts. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. Make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. We get to come to the Lord's table this morning, and this is a special observation that we have on a regular basis. This is a holy ordinance that was ordained by our Lord Jesus Christ himself and given to us as a means of remembering. That's what we do at the table. We remember. Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was gathered there in the upper room in Jerusalem with his disciples. It was a difficult time for them because there were all sorts of rumors about what was going to happen to Jesus. What were the religious leaders going to do? What threats existed that might bring harm to him or to them? And yet they were gathered there in the upper room. And they were there to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus had sent a couple of the disciples on ahead to prepare the Passover meal for them. And this was a Passover Seder that they celebrated every single year. To remember, to remember how God, with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, had delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. To remember how God caused his people even to plunder the Egyptians peacefully as the Egyptians brought them their stuff and said, just go. To remember that God is faithful. So in that context, they gathered there in that upper room. Some of you have been in that space. And there were all sorts of thoughts swirling in their heads, all sorts of anxieties, all sorts of worries, all sorts of, all sorts of realities they were dealing with that I'm sure they didn't want to be dealing with in the moment, but they knew that they wanted to be where Jesus was. And that was enough. And so there, where Jesus was, our Lord took that Passover Seder that they had experienced multiple times throughout their lives, and he made it new. Well, today we've gathered in this space, and it's a space for many of us that we've been to multiple times. We we gather as the people of God, and all of us have things going on, all of us. Nobody walked into this room today. Nobody has joined into this experience as a blank slate. We all brought stuff with us. We had to travel. If, you, if you're in the room, you had to get out in the rain this morning. You had to break out your umbrella. You had to think about how you were going to get into the building. You, you came. And you came bringing your anxieties and your worries and your joys and your sorrows and everything that's on your mind and everything that's on your heart. But you, but you came to this room to experience a meal that many of you have experienced multiple times before in your lives. But you had to be where Jesus was and where his people were. So you came. 
And there's all sorts of thoughts swirling in your mind. I know there's thoughts swirling in mine too. Things that Monday morning will bring that have to be taken care of Sunday evening before Monday morning arrives. There's, there's thoughts, issues, anxieties, worries, and we come together to bring them to our Lord who said, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. And so in that context, we come to the table. I want to invite Billy Ray Smith and Clint Cobb to join me here at the table. Billy Ray is our deacon chair and Clint's our deacon chair elect. They're going to help us serve the meal today, but this meal is open to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to participate with us. If you have not, God asks you not to participate. That's not our deal. That's God's deal. But realize that God's arms are open through Jesus Christ to receive anyone who will come to him saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus is the Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my life of sin to trust and follow you. His arms are open to receive you. Even if you've never come to him before, you can come to him even now. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when these elements are brought to you, we invite you to participate with us. For this is the meal that Jesus instituted for his followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to partake. The Bible also tells us to examine ourselves before we come to this meal. And so you're gonna have a, an opportunity here in just a moment as our deacons are distributing the elements you're going to have some time to think, to pray, and to say, search me, O God. Show me any offensive way in me and cleanse me and restore that relationship with God, that love relationship that you have with him through Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that's impeding the closeness of your relationship with God. Now's the opportunity to talk about it with the Lord and to stand in His forgiveness for Jesus Christ paid for not some of your sin, not some of my sin. He paid for all of it. And so, as we prepare to share this meal, would you join your heart together with mine in prayer? Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of the Lord's Supper and we thank you for all that this meal signifies, that the bread is a symbol of the body of Jesus, which was hanged on an old rugged cross for us. That the cup is a symbol of the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. And you have given us this holy ordinance, these wonderful symbols as reminders to remember the price that you paid for us. So, Lord, as we come from all over the community to this table, as we come bringing thoughts and worries and fears and anxieties and joys and sorrows and all that we are, we come collectively confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Jesus Christ is greater than all. We cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us and we surrender our lives to you yet again. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The Bible tells us that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread in that upper room with his disciples, and he broke it, 
And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. And he encouraged them to take and to eat. And they didn't understand it all. But he told them to participate. Well, in just a moment, our deacons are going to distribute a piece of bread to you. If you're a believer, please take one and then hold it. And consider what it means, what it symbolizes, that the God of the cosmos so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you, and that his only begotten son was broken so that you might be made whole. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this little piece of bread, and we ask now that you would bless it, that it would symbolize for us the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve as a reminder to us of the great price that you paid for us because of your love. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.
this piece of unleavened bread is a symbol of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given over to be broken for you. Take, eat, and remember. The Bible tells us that after supper, Jesus took the cup. In the order of the cups of the Passover Seder, this would have been the third cup. And what's interesting about the third cup of the Passover Seder is it is the cup of redemption. It is the cup by which God reminds his people how he redeemed them by his mighty power. And Jesus took up the cup after the supper, and he said, I tell you, this is the cup of a new covenant. He was hearkening back to the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who said that the day was coming when God would write his covenant, his law, upon the hearts of his people. Not upon tablets of stone, but upon fleshy hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was taking the possibility of a relationship with God from being something to which you made a pilgrimage to a certain city and a certain time and a certain place. He was taking that and changing it into a relationship in which God would be with you wherever you go. That you, believer, would become the temple of the living God and that the Spirit of God would dwell within you, a new covenant. And Jesus said about that new covenant that it would be sealed in his blood. And so he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And the disciples didn't understand all the implications of everything that he was saying. They didn't understand all the deep theological meaning that he was portraying with his simple words, but... They understood that Jesus was giving of himself to them so that they might be with him. Well, that's what we remember when we come to the table and we celebrate with the cup. The blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was shed for us, and this cup symbolizes his blood. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would bless this cup and as our deacons distribute it to us and each believer takes his or her own cup and holds it, may we ponder the meaning of what this small little cup of grape juice symbolizes, the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.
This cup symbolizes the blood of our Lord Jesus, which was shed for you. Take, drink, and remember. I want to share with you just a, a brief thought about what happened next with the disciples. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room. And you can go in Jerusalem to the place where the upper room was. It, it, it is an upper room still today. Now, it's a different building, but it's the same space. And you can go into that space where, where Jesus taught us what it means to stand in the new covenant in his blood. It's, a, it's an amazing experience, so cathartic, so surreal, and yet very real all at the same time. And the thing about it was the Bible tells us that after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, those who had decided to trust and follow Jesus, the people that were there in that room, who had left what they previously had and what they previously were to trust and follow Jesus, that even then, their human imperfections were on display. I mean, think about this sacred moment. You, you know what happens here. You know that, that Jesus has, has served the supper. You know that, that he's already told them that, that Judas is going to betray him, although he didn't call Judas by name. He's going to tell Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times. And within this holy context, the regular people who were in the room were still going to mess it up. How many of you have found that people have a tendency to mess holy moments up? Has that ever happened to you? Like you're in church right now, and here in just a few minutes, it's going to be over. And, and if you're here in the room with us, you're going to go out through the narthex. You're going to sign up to be part of the church directory because it'll be better with you in it. You're going to brave the rain, and you're going to get to your car, and off you go. And you're not even going to get a quarter mile away from the church, and you're going to start complaining about something, aren't you? It could be the new bypass, the way that we've done, I don't know. It could be Scottsville Road that you try to navigate in the rain. It could be where your family wants to go eat, and you don't want that today. It could be a whole host of things. But the regularness of us tends to tends to wreck the holiness of these moments. Have you ever had that happen? Well, it happened the first time. If you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, if you're in the room, the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 882. And if you're in the Red Pew Bible, you can look that on the top left-hand corner of page 882, the heading there in Dr. Luke's gospel is institution of the Lord's Supper. And then if you go about halfway down the page, you see a new heading. And that new heading is, Who is the Greatest? So I want to invite you to look with me at Luke chapter 22. I want to give you three verses. Verses 24 through 27. And this is the regularness of the people coming out after the holiness of the moment. Luke writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. 
And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves." Something else had happened in this space at this time, and this was recorded by John in his gospel. In John chapter 13, you can read about one of the most awkward moments in Jesus' ministry. Because in John chapter 13, we learn that as they gathered there in that upper room, something very strange happened. That as the supper was being served, Jesus got up from the table, and he went and wrapped a towel around himself and got a basin and a tub and began to wash his disciples' feet. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? I've heard of religious people who do foot washing services and things like that. Not for me, but I've heard of it. Well, let me tell you what the context was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, when you walked around the dusty city in your sandals, one of the traditions that was extending hospitality to your guests was when they got to your home, you would wash their feet because their feet would be dusty and they would need to be refreshed. Well, that, that was reserved for the lowest servant in the place because it was a nasty job. It's washing feet. And so they walk into the upper room, and it's just Jesus and his disciples. And I can only imagine that over in the corner of the room was a basin and a jar and a towel. And I bet they all saw it. They all knew it was there. It would be just as common as any everyday thing that you see in any room you walk into today. It was part of their living arrangement. That's just what they did. But as they all gathered in this room to celebrate the Passover, none of them went over to pick up the jar and the basin. And we learned from Luke's gospel why they didn't. Because they weren't there considering who might serve. They were there considering who among us is the most important, who among us is the greatest. And if you're worried about being the greatest, then you're not going to make yourself the least. If you're worried about being the greatest, you're not going to serve everybody else in the room. You're going to let somebody else do that because, well, it wouldn't look good in your campaign to be the greatest if you did the lowest job. So as the supper was being served, the greatest in the room, the true greatest in any room, got up and he went to the basin and the jar. And he began doing the unthinkable. He began doing the job of the lowest servant, washing their feet. John tells us he came to Peter's feet. Y'all remember Peter? We talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's, he's often the one who speaks before he thinks it all the way through. Can anybody identify? And he says, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. In other words, no, 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 Lord. This is the job reserved for the lowest servant. This is not for you to do to me. And Jesus says to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Humble yourself and receive this. I'm paraphrasing. 
Because to have your feet washed by anyone, you have to humble yourself. But to have your feet washed by the king of the cosmos, you really have to humble yourself. So Jesus washes Peter's feet, and he washes the rest of the disciples' feet. He washes Judas's feet. And he tells them afterwards, he says, I'm your Lord and teacher, and I've done this to you. You don't understand everything I'm doing for you right now. But I'll tell you this. If I, your Lord and teacher, can come do this to you, you also ought to serve one another. And that's the context in which this argument about who's the greatest breaks out. And Jesus, he says, look, all the people in the world, that's what they're worried about. They're worried about competing to see who's the greatest. And then he says four words that rattle my soul, and I bet they'll rattle yours too. Not so with you. You've decided to trust and follow Jesus, so act like it. You've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Could anybody tell? How could they tell? Well, Jesus said the only way they can tell is by the way that we live. And so as we get ready to go from this experience, let's live so that they can tell that we follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.